You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 71. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 71. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself. Feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, Supermoms. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm I'm stir crazy. I've got cabin fever, but that's the only kind of fever I have. So I'm doing all right, hanging in there. So glad you guys are out there listening. It kind of helps give me a social outlet to think about you listening to my podcast, sharing it with your friends. So super grateful. And if you guys even get time to listen to a podcast, that's awesome because I know how intensely you are working. (laughs) Sometimes I get a little annoyed with like all this attention on like healthcare workers are our heroes. I know they are. It is wonderful. But moms, hello, we're the ones doing all the hard work here. So this is a big burden on moms and it would be nice to get like half of the recognition going to healthcare workers and the other half going to parents who are trying to work from home and schooling, online learning. It's a lot of work. And that's what we're going to talk about today is online learning and resistance to it coming from the kiddos. So this question is kind of about a kindergartner, but if you have older kids, I want you still to listen, especially to the power boost, because it definitely applies to like middle school and high schoolers as well. So we're talking today about from, we're answering a question from Demarie and she writes, I have four kids that are now online schooling, a seventh grader, two fifth graders, and one kindergartner. My older kids are successfully working with their teachers and getting their work done for the most part. My kindergartner struggles with the online format. He doesn't like to participate much on the Zoom calls. I have to keep an eye on him because he has started to mute the audio and video and run off to play during the calls. They also post instructional videos for the daily worksheet and a story. If I turn my back, he forwards through parts of the instruction. To try to get out of doing work, he has even started experimenting with lying for the first time. Mom, I watched that video last night while you were sleeping. And mom, I already did that worksheet and then I recycled it. When I ask him why he isn't wanting to do the work, he says he doesn't enjoy it, especially the writing. I sit with him during instruction and work with him on the worksheets. He is resistant to my help. I am not trained or gifted in teaching academics. I've tried to motivate him in different ways, but he just isn't into it. The firmer I get, the more resistant he becomes. He would rather play with the microscope, play board games, help with cooking projects, water the garden, or build something. Please help, Damarie. Okay, now I could have easily answered this question today by talking about um, getting into a power struggle with a strong-willed child, (laughs) but I think I already talked about that in a past episode. So I'm going to talk about the multiple intelligence theory today. When most people think about intelligence, they think of high test scores, good grades, and IQ. We generalize intelligence into one category. However, way back in 1983, 
Howard Gardner, a developmental psychologist at Harvard, outlined eight major types of intelligence. In his book, Frames of Mind, Gardner proposed, we have this myth that the only way to learn something is to read it in a textbook or hear a lecture on it. The only way to show that we've understood something is to take a short answer test with an essay question thrown in. But that's nonsense. Everything can be taught in more than one way. This theory became very popular with educators when I was getting my teaching credential. That's where I learned about it but also with parents because it reflects the reality of what we see every day. The one child isn't smarter than the other. They're just smarter in different ways. If you have more than one child, you can usually see this. So it just makes sense to us. The eight different kinds of intelligence are number one, Visual spatial intelligence. So this would be kids who are really good at puzzles. They like to draw. They might like to, uh, you know, Play-Doh and create and build things, sculptures. They're really good dioramas. You can give these kids a cardboard box and they can make a beautiful house out of it. So visual spatial intelligence is number one. Number two is linguistic verbal intelligence. So these are kids who love reading. They like, they usually have a big vocabulary at a young age. They're pretty good with like accents and languages, picking up other foreign languages. Uh, you could always tell these kids love like verbal humor and just like saying words that are funny and playing around with different sounds. They just, this is, you know, my son is very strong in the linguistic verbal intelligence and has been since he was four. And, you know, the books he was gravitate towards were the, like, award-winning quality literature. He just read Macbeth over spring break for fun. I'm just like, who are you? <laughs> Nerd. But it wasn't a big surprise when he decided to major in linguistics, like the science of language. It was so up his alley. And it had been there since he was a tiny little tot. And he really taught himself to read, too. So they, clearly that one's a, it's so easy to spot if your kid has intelligence in linguistic and verbal. A mathematical intelligence is also easy to spot once they start school. So this is when you see kids who can, I mean, I still envy this because I still struggle with this, where they can do math inside their head. They don't need to, you know, when they're little, they're going to do one-to-one correspondent and they need to touch each object as they're counting it. But very quickly, if they're playing a game, you know, Uno or Gin Rummy or any kind of those games where you are doing math inside your head and adding up numbers, you're playing 21 or something, man, they're so good at it. Um, Logic puzzles is another thing. These kids can really enjoy logic puzzles. So number four is a kinesthetic intelligence. So these are the kids who are very smart, like kinesthetically, like you can watch them at the playground. And there's some kids who climb up really high and you have to like worry about them. You're like, oh my God, he's going to fall. He's going to trip. He's not going to notice where his foot's moving. He's going to jump off something that's too high and hurt his ankle. And then there's these other kids that just have this innate kinesthetic sense of what they are capable of and what they're not. And they can pick up a brand new sport super easily. They have something they've never played before that might be hand-eye coordination or they can just really easily adapt physically. So they have this kinesthetic sense with their relationship to their body and how it moves in the world. Okay, the 
Number five, intelligence is a musical intelligence. And so this is kids who can like play by ear. They don't even need that rote instruction of how to, you know, read music, that it's more of like, I can hear it and play it. And you can remember things. Like if you remember lyrics to songs or you get these songs stuck in your head all the time, it's a musical intelligence. Number six, interpersonal intelligence. These are kids who are wonderful with empathy They can be very charming. They can be very manipulative. They can be good at sales when they grow up. But it usually starts with like being able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes and really relate interpersonally. They usually have lots of friends and can get along with all different kinds of kids very easily. Number seven is intrapersonal intelligence. So this can be someone who's got lots of self-awareness, a quiet confidence about them. They might, from a very young age, have a very good sense of their inner world. Like they can be really young and say like, oh, I feel excited. Even though it's like a kind of a word that's most three-year-olds might not know. Or So they can really have a good easy time articulating their inner world is intrapersonal intelligence. And number eight, the last one is a naturalistic intelligence. These kids are keenly aware of patterns in the environment. They have high empathy with animals. They feel like almost they can kind of read the animal's minds. They know what they're thinking and feeling, and they can really sense and intuit what plants need, animals need, the planet needs, anything like that. So I'm just going to read through these again really quickly. The eight different kinds of intelligence are number one, visual spatial, number two, linguistic and verbal, number three, mathematical, number four, kinesthetic, number five, musical, number six, interpersonal, relating with other people, number seven, intrapersonal, relating to oneself, and number eight, a naturalistic environmental intelligence. So when it comes to your kindergartner's interest in online learning, Demery, I would propose that he has a strong kinesthetic intelligence or is too young and developmentally not ready for online learning or both. Young children gravitate towards things that naturally help them learn. If these Zoom calls were a good way for him to learn, he would enjoy it. I am primarily an interpersonal learner. I learn best by talking and collaborating with others. If I had a strong personal relationship with my teacher, seeing her on Zoom would be highly motivating for me. But put me in front of a computer or a textbook like by myself, I would struggle to understand the lessons being taught. And let me tell you, for sure, I would lie and say that I read the chapter just so I could go to a study group and learn alongside my friends. In fact, I believe I have gone to a book club and said I read the book, even though I just really wanted to be there to talk with my friends and get their take on the book. Much more interesting to me. My husband could not learn his multiplication tables until his mom put them to music. The numbers didn't mean anything to him until they were associated with a note on the piano. As a kid, would my husband have lied to get out of doing math worksheets? Uh, I believe he would. Yes. In fact, it's May and we still haven't done our taxes because I'm still waiting for him. And I'm pretty sure he told me it was completed more than one time. So everyone lies to avoid doing things they don't want to do. I mean, how many times have you said that, oh, you have plans in order to avoid an unappealing social invitation? I hear myself say that I'm too tired to exercise, even though I know exercise boosts my energy. So we lie all the time. 
I suggest viewing the lying as his way of communicating how much he dislikes Zoom and worksheets. <laughs> At school, teachers try to have lessons that appeal to all learners, but it's difficult because everyone's there's so many kids and everyone's needs are different. But at home, it's much easier to cater to the individual learning style of your kiddo. There are many ways to accomplish the skill the teacher wants him to develop. If the teacher wants him to write, for example, so that he can practice the skill of communicating ideas, then your son can dictate his thoughts to you and you can write them down or he, he can tell a story on video. If the skill is to practice the fine motor formation of letters, he can draw in mud, in shaving cream, sand, Play-Doh, sidewalk chalk, or draw with mustard on a sandwich. <laughs> It's all just practicing the formation of the letters and developing that fine motor control, which is, it's a developmental thing and he might not be ready for that. To practice phonetics and word sounds, he can jump rope while you sing a rhyming song. You know, remember those jump roping songs? You sing it, he jumps. Uh, you can play a rhyming game with each other. He can bounce a ball, like right with sidewalk chalk, like C-A-T, and he can bounce the ball on the K-A-T and practice sounding it out so that you're incorporating his kinesthetic desires with learning so that he can get something that's keeping it fun and playful and interesting to him while practicing a skill. There are many, many ways to teach the skills needed and your son is showing you what he likes and how he learns best. Without the social elements of school to motivate him, keep it easy on yourself and try to incorporate skills into the things he already enjoys doing. You know, if he's cooking, you can look for words in the recipe and look for numbers and you can count. And there's so many ways just by talking about things while doing them. Board games is a really great way to practice following directions, taking turns, and there's rules to follow. So he could play board games. That's a great way to practice and lots of counting and numbers and board games too. Follow his lead, keep it playful and fun, and remember that everything he's doing naturally is growing his brain and his capacity for learning. That's the important part. Today's life coaching answer, what gets in our way from letting your kid take the lead and just letting them do whatever they want to do? Well, your inner people-pleasing rule follower. Oh my, do I have an inner people-pleasing rule follower. And I'm going to guess that this mama inside does too. She probably has a formula for success inside her brain that says something like, do what you're told and all will be well. <laughs> this rule following probably comes naturally to her and has served her well. My hunch is that if mom was to disregard instructions, ignore the teacher, not turn in her assignment, this would be extremely uncomfortable for her. Not doing what she's told would be ignoring her inner compass because she likes to follow the rules and do what she's told. Just as worksheets and Zoom calls go against her son's inner compass, he doesn't like doing that. So the key here is to let mom be mom and let kid be kid. 
If mom wants to show the teacher that she is an obedient rule follower, she can log him in every day, but let him walk away when he gets bored. Mom can communicate with the teacher the skills that her son is working on, like cooking, gardening, and building. Those are all wonderful skills. Mom can create an environment conducive to her son participating in online school assignments, but she cannot make him learn. The scary part is that mom may need to advocate for her son by contradicting the teacher's requests. I am a rule following people pleaser and I had to do this when my daughter was in first grade and it was terrifying. So I totally understand how scary it can be to go against the teacher's requests. I had to tell this very kind teacher that I was taking my daughter off homework. My daughter was crying every day after school. She was so stressed out. I was a reading specialist, and I knew that the best way to sabotage a kid's success in school was to teach them to hate reading. My daughter has a very strong will, like it sounds like Demarie's son has too. So when she disliked something, everyone knew it. When I tried to read her stories before bed, she would chuck the book across the room. When we'd walk into a library for my son, who loved books, she would start screaming until I took her outside. I knew that taking my daughter off homework was the right thing to do, but it was still scary to tell the teacher that I would be purposefully disobeying her. (laughs) When the teacher asked about like doing homework in second grade, I said I would deal with that when I got there. All I knew was that it was more important to me that my daughter liked school and learned to like reading. If I was going to force reading down her throat, I knew it would backfire. She was so exhausted trying to do everything right at school that all she needed was recuperation time at home to do her own ideas, her own things, and just listen to her own inner compass. Everyone says kids are our greatest teachers. I think the best learning comes when kids trigger us and force us to grow sides of ourselves that we didn't know that we had inside us. I didn't know I had this strong advocate inside me until I was forced to walk in there. And I had a similar conversation in second grade, but by the time she got to third grade, she liked her teacher so much that she was willing to do whatever he said. And so that made all the difference for her. But, you know, every kid is different. And so you just got to, even when it's hard and uncomfortable, we've got to advocate for our kids to do what's best for them. When we raise kids who are different from ourselves, it gives us the opportunities to become stronger, more compassionate versions of ourselves. Today's Supermom Kryptonite is listening to outside authority. There's nothing wrong with looking outside yourself for answers unless we do it as a substitute for trusting our own gut. It's easy to get stuck in a tailspin of advice, all coming from different people, all making sense, but all contradicting each other. Like, I remember this, like trying to read parenting books, and I just wanted somebody to tell me I was doing it right. And I kept reading different parenting books. I had different takes on it. And it was so confusing. Like if this person's right and this person's right, but they're totally contradicting each other, who do I listen to? 
The answer is yourself. (laughs) When we go looking outside ourselves for answers, my suggestion is adopt them if they align with your values, your prior knowledge, and what you know to be true from your personal experience. To help out a fellow obliger who likes to do what is expected of her, I've compiled some wisdom from teachers that I admire and respect. I shared Demery's question with these kindergarten and first grade teachers, and I took some excerpts from their answers that aligned with my personal philosophy so that she can get non-contradictory advice from more than one expert. Here's a word of wisdom from Ms. Toomey. His age group is not able to focus on Zoom or even understand what it is or why they have to do it. (laughs) I would advise that mom take the skill highlighted in the worksheet and incorporate it through play or one of the cooking projects she does. By March in kinder, most of the entire curriculum has already been taught and it's just practice from here. I would completely forgo the Zoom and the worksheets, just read, practice handwriting, do some mental math and play, play, play. Thank you, Ms. Toomey. Here's what Ms. Verdesnos has to say. Conscientious parents will try to have their kids do everything the teacher gives because they're worried their kids will fall behind. Yeah, any super moms out there relate to this? <laughs> super mom, rule following, people pleasers. Okay, more from Ms. Verdesnos. More important than completing all the teacher's assignments is to build and strengthen the parent-child relationship. It would be good for the parent to use this time to let the child explore other interests, cook together, dig holes in the garden, get dirty and build things. The academics will be there when he goes back to school. Here's some advice from Miss Young. Kindergartners should not be doing more than an hour of work a day. Smaller chunks of time would be best, 10 to 15 minutes at the most, followed by one of the activities he'd rather do like building or helping cook. Focus on what your son is interested in. All the activities you mentioned he gravitates toward are great for his development and learning. School is supposed to be social, focused on play and learning, not just from the teacher, but from their peers too. So much of what we do in the classroom cannot be transferred to an online platform. All right, today's Supermom Power Boost is task management. So today's Power Boost comes from Mrs. Densmore Thomas. She says, it sounds like Demery's kid is looking for some control and he wants to do age-appropriate things. Worksheets don't fit that bill. She suggests a simple project management system using sticky notes. You write the tasks on post-it notes, short, little, easy tasks that he can do, and then he moves them from things to do to doing to done. That's kind of a three-part system. You can even just have two. You can have things to do and then done. It's just moving the sticky note with different colors and different words in a big, on a board or on the wall somewhere so that kinesthetically and visually he can see that he is accomplishing tasks. To-do lists and worksheets aren't very pretty. By making it physical and colorful, you're appealing to the kinesthetic and visual spatial learners. Having a simple system to track tasks is great for any age. If you've got a middle schooler or a high schooler who's getting overwhelmed with assignments or they're getting lots of like information that they're having a hard time tracking, 
This can be really helpful, a visually appealing, simple system to track what they have and haven't accomplished is super helpful. So you've got the tasks on the left, and when you finish it, you walk up, you move the sticky note over to the right. Nice and easy, nice and visual, nice and colorful. We like a sense of accomplishment because it gives the brain a little hit of dopamine. This dopamine is the reward center of our brain, and it keeps us coming back for more, which means that the more dopamine your son produces from school-related projects, the more he will want to do school-related projects. Today's quote of the day is from Howard Gardner in The Unschooled Mind, How Children Think and How Schools Should Teach. Until now, most schools in most cultures have stressed a certain combination of linguistic and logical intelligences. Beyond question, that combination is important for mastering the agenda of school, but we have gone too far in ignoring the other intelligences. By minimizing the importance of other intelligences within and outside of schools, we may consign many students who fail to exhibit the proper blend to believe that they're stupid. And we do not take advantage of ways in which multiple intelligences can be exploited to further the goals of school and the broader culture. So I just want you to remember that there are many, many ways in which intelligence can show up. And when we have a narrow view of it in our culture, when it if we're looking at SAT scores and you're not noticing how tuned in your child is to the environment and how much they can empathize with animals, then it's just really limiting and creating a very narrow version of what success is supposed to look like. That there are many different kinds of intelligence. And when school narrowly focuses on the linguistic, verbal, mathematical intelligence, then kids can think that they're not smart. And so the best way that parents can balance that out is when they're at home to give them opportunities to pursue their passions, to follow the things that they're really interested in and good at so that they can develop a skill set that is way broader and more expansive and more fun than sometimes school can offer. Thank you guys so much. You take care. I will love you and Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.